The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM. And as always, we're out there hunting all the coolest gadgets, latest news, and all the technology that impacts our lives on a daily basis. And uh, as I've said many times, and I'm sure all of you realize, it's pretty much impossible to ignore technology in your life in any meaningful way at the moment. I know a couple of people who talk about digital detoxes and getting away from the pinging and the ringing and all the rest. And even myself thought about it, you know, in the evenings when you're watching TV, technology shouldn't be sitting on your tablet, phone, you know, multitasking in that way, splitting your energy between the two mediums. But we all sort of make do with what we got in terms of the technology and everything that we're doing. But that being said, can't knock it. When you've got hours and hours in the day to play with technology, you just got to get down to understanding what's happening and what's going on out there. And a lot of really interesting news um, is hitting South Africa as we speak, and a lot to do with Amazon. Now, Amazon are, without question, in the Western world, the big daddy of online retail started off as a humble bookseller uh, and has grown to be this juggernaut of retailing that has pretty much dominated and driven all the innovation in the online space on online shopping for a few decades now, pushing two to three decades of, of just continual innovation and the reshaping of supply chains, and just so many fundamental things that you wouldn't even think about. Where's the goods stored? How the goods stored? How they ship to you? What platforms run in the back end to make sure that the goods are near you, they, the delivery times are getting shorter and shorter? So overall, the technology and the sheer breadth and depth of it across all these platforms has grown literally exponentially over the last 20 years. And the rumor, it's not a rumor, it's an absolute fact. Before the end of this year, Amazon retail or online retail will launch in South Africa. And as you can imagine, our own homegrown Big Daddy, which took over Kalahari and became Take-A-Lot, have now started fighting back. And competition is always good. It really definitely um, spurs people's thinking and gets people off their, out of their comfort zone and starts pushing them to new and better ways of doing things. And it appears that take a lot are busy trialing one hour delivery from, um, you know, from central places for now. And, um, it's coming pretty soon to you. So it depends what they have. And obviously they're talking about items ranging from phone charges to toys, you know, and all of this is definitely an anticipation of when Amazon enters. And this rapid delivery service will initially be offered in parts of Cape Town. We take a lot of parent company, Naspers, has its headquarters. And before it goes more wildly, they, they're going to learn a few things and understand what's going on and see how they can grow it. At the moment, e-commerce only really makes up about 4% of South African retail, which definitely represents a massive opportunity. And 
Whereas most sort of more developed companies are three to five times bigger than that, up to 20% of, of, of all online. And certainly in places like America, the malls have taken a huge hock, shock, you know, a huge, um, drop in sales across the last couple of years. Many have closed down the, the selection of goods and the pricing has been affected. And it's always cool to go and wander the shops and look for things that you need. But the variety is just not there. It's available to do it online. So what was happening was this whole sort of thing where people went browsing uh, offline and shopping online, which is not definitely not something that the online retailers or the, the, the offline retailers, the brick-and-mortar boys want, but it is happening. So although online retail sales have grown 30% year-on-year over the last couple of years, it's still got a long way to go, and it's going to be massive in terms of what changes when Amazon come on board. And I do believe there are a lot of good players in the space. But uh, the idea of getting one-hour delivery certainly doesn't hurt at all. But what it does do, for example, is make sure that um, you've got goods that you know and the algorithms have run in the background to try to figure out what people are buying and making sure that stock's available in a local, in a hyper-local Setting like Johannesburg, some of the some of the suburbs would have to have little sub distribution places where the stuff can be sold. And again, Amazon have always been absolutely at the forefront of this, using the AWS skills, which I'll talk about in a second. But they can predict pretty much to ninety, if not above, accuracy what products are going to be ordered in what region and at what time, so that they can do one hour or same day delivery at the drop of a hat. So watch this space. I think it's going to get more and more exciting. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how pricing and service moderates or changes uh, with Amazon coming on board and doing all sorts of things because when it comes to frictionless purchasing and sales, Amazon pretty much have got uh, the market cornered. And take a lot, do a fine job, but uh, it certainly doesn't have the resources of what Amazon can throw at the retailing situation. So good news for South Africa. I think it's going to bring a lot of benefit to all of us and hopefully a little bit more choice and some better pricing, which uh, always never hurts at any level. And staying with AWS, in the news, they have announced they've opened their first AWS skill center outside of the USA. And a lot of people don't realize that some of the fundamental technology was um, was created in Cape Town, so it's it, it's sort of uh, historical. But some South African engineers, one of them by the name of Chris Pinkham, and they developed the first Elastic Compute Cloud instance, which they called EC2, in 2006, you know, way back, and that was created in Cape Town, and that is where the core of the AWS the Amazon Web Services business, which is what runs Amazon Retail and everything else that Amazon does. So the the growth of Amazon Web Services in, in South Africa has been exponential. You might have heard about the craziness that went on about their new multi-billion rand uh, sort of headquarters that they're building in Cape Town was delayed because ancestral lands and all sorts of stories. Simply put, they're moving ahead. This, the entire complex will be built and it will house probably the entire Amazon South Africa and Africa operation right in Cape Town. So expect to see a little bit more, a little bit um, 
more investment and everything. But this AWS um, skill center is actually quite a big deal because what they do, it's, it's a dedicated in-person learning space and it's designed for anyone who's curious about cloud computing and career possibilities within the technology cloud and um, environment. So it's free. The other centers are in U.S. only, Seattle, Washington, and Arlington, Virginia. But in South Africa, hopefully, anyone in the community, regardless of what their background is, their education level, or social status, can explore how cloud computing technology is powering everything from weather predictions to smart homes. And the Cape Town region been growing like mad, lots of young people, and talent, upskilling, the workforce and driving innovation is something that Amazon have been doing globally for a long time. So they offer training and certification for free for the most part and a large, a wide range of training and career opportunities or the exploration of those um, will be able, will be free of charge and open to the public at any space, at any time in their spaces. So it's going to be, I think, quite a, a big deal and career coaching and all the rest comes along with it. So watch the space if you're in the Cape area as soon as they open, and I think it's it's imminent. I think they actually have opened um, some parts of it. Go out and check out what AWS have got, especially in this hot, exciting cloud computing career, which sort of space, which is becoming a career for many people. In fact, I know very few young people are not involved in something to do with the Internet or some form of programming or some form of startup that's operating in that space. So great news for Cape Town. I think it can only drive a lot of benefits for South Africa and for the youth and for the growth of technology within the space that we have. So on that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe and an interesting chat today about the smartphone industry, and it's actually in a bit of a bad space. 2023 has not been a banner year. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before we get stuck into what's happening in the smartphone world, and it's an interesting topic because we all got them, we all use them. And um, it's been a bit of a strange couple of years since Corona about how dependent we've become on mobiles. But anyway, before we get there, let's talk about your shopping list, which I have no doubt well, hopefully it's getting longer, and your time is getting shorter. Busy, 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 we're all doing stuff. Discam Delivered has you covered. From healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty and toiletries, wherever you need, Discam Delivered has you covered. All you need to do is download the easy-to-use Discam app if you haven't already, and shop over 10,000 products that are expanding at in-store prices that will be delivered to you within 60 minutes. Now you can relax while Discam delivers your essentials and 10,000 products and some of the non-essentials to you. It's that simple. Discam delivered from Discam to you. And 60, mi- 60 minutes it seems to be the new benchmark for deliveries. Nothing like convenience. And all driven by technology, I must tell you. And motorbikes. But we won't forget motorbikes. Apparently there's a huge move across um, the world and certainly in South Africa to e-bikes, which are more... Uh, friendly and uh, certainly a little less noisy 
than the little motorbikes that are out there, but probably no less dangerous when they're all swarming down the road trying to deliver your 60-minute everything from everyone. So lots of fun. I mean, I must admit that sometimes in certain central areas it gets pretty crazy with the amount of motorbikes and delivery vehicles and food delivery. And it's like no one wants to go anywhere. We want to live in our little homes and get everything delivered, which is another topic we'll discuss down the road because Getting back to work in the office seems to be a trend, and the work from home brought on from by Corona and all that change, the whole trend seems to be fading. A lot of companies are talking, come back to the office for two or three days minimum a week. Let's see you. Let's talk to you. And no more multitasking sitting at home in your PJs. So, again, we'll get there. But the smartphone industry actually is not a pretty bad space for 2023 across the board. And I've got some great research from CounterPoint Research regarding what's going on. We're talking about an eight-quarter decline in the smartphone market. Maybe not in value, because unfortunately prices have gone up, but certainly in volume and driven pretty much by the lower end. So there are pretty much, in fact, smartphone devices and shipments are headed for the worst year for over a decade. And that's driven by a lot of macro things. There's economic uncertainties, meltdowns, not that they tell you in China. They are really hiding as much as they can. But the simple simple truth is that we are seeing a major decline in economic activity, certainly centered around property in China, and that seems to be hurting consumer spending. And um, they are predicting that the shipments are going to drop around about 6% year on year, for 2023, which is big. And um, I'll, I'll quote some, some facts and figures from the counterpoint research in a minute. But Asia is definitely one of the major problems with uh, positive growth. The good old adage was that if America got a cold or sneezed, the world got a cold and it affected us. Seems to be that the American influence globally has waned a little, but certainly the counterbalance about what's going on in China. They've become the world's biggest manufacturer of electric vehicles. You see more and more of them on the road, high quality, good pricing, tons of features. They certainly are taking the fight to Tesla and everyone else. But uh, I, I digress once again. But the fact is that Asia and driven by the big daddy China is definitely driving um, changes. And although the economic sort of situation in America has stabilized, if anything, there's even a little bit of growth. Europe have just announced that overall tiny bit of growth. Certain countries like the Netherlands, um, Spain have had slight negative growth. But overall, the whole crisis that was sort of occurred around the war in uh, Ukraine, and just general, the hangover, the bounce after Corona and all the help that happened, seems to be evening out, inflation's falling, the economies are stabilizing. But even so, it appears that consumers are, are very hesitant to upgrade their devices. And for, for good reason, in my opinion. The research is showing it anecdotally amongst my friends, amongst the people I speak to. There's nothing much happening in the smartphone space. I mean, we spoke at length about the excitement of the flip and the fold last week from Samsung. No question, really, really innovative devices offering big screens in very small form factors. 
with foldable everything, which is really cool from a technology point of view. Everyone's fighting how tough their screens are, and we're talking about half a million flips and folds before you see any degradation, which is not something that most of us will get up to. But I don't know, compulsively opening and closing your phone seems to be a bit of a, a thing with some people. But again, let's not get into that side of things. So the form factors of smartphones hasn't changed pretty much for the last decade. They've all been angular, long, glass front and back, metal, plastic framed slabs of technology. What has changed dramatically is the the technology driving the smartphones. We're into the 5G, one terabyte world. We're talking about massive speeds, massive uh, com, um, you know, communication abilities and everything else and the computing powers within the devices themselves have reached way beyond, in some cases, laptop quality. So you've got gaming quality on a phone that, that, that exceeds many of the older laptops. You've got sheer computing power that exceeds mainframes from many years ago by a margin, not just by small amounts, battery efficiency. So all the technical stuff has pretty much grown leaps and bounds. But the net effect on you and me as consumers has been way, way, way less. In fact, taking an iPhone 12, we're now moving to the 15 in a month or so. Take an iPhone 12. The camera is still good. The operating system has been updated. The um, processor still chugs along quite nicely. Most apps work. In fact, all apps work pretty much as they should. And it becomes really hard to justify spending now, never mind the fact that the prices have gone up in dollar terms. In rand terms, the price of the phone has almost doubled over the last three to four years. And that is a huge difference. So if you paid 10 grand for a phone back then, we're talking 2018, 2019, suddenly you're paying 20 grand for that same equivalent device in 2023. It's a, it's a, it's a big change. And I, I can absolutely state that a lot of people have just hung on. They've kept going. They haven't upgraded. Or if they do, they buy last year's model. So this is not only a South African trend, but I think a global trend. And the research is clearly, clearly indicating that despite the best efforts of people like Apple and Samsung and all the other manufacturers out there, there has been a significant downturn in the market over the last little while. And I think for, a, for the most part, macroeconomic woes definitely create the issue. But I think there's a usage problem going on here. Everybody, it's the old adage, it's good enough. Now, if you look at two different markets where originally the laptop market was the, 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 the leading driver of technology, drove Intel to massive profits, drove Seagate and all these other component manufacturers to massive growth. And they, and as the innovation just got hotter and hotter, more and more people bought computers, laptops, you name it. Then the tablet market exploded for a while. But what happens is that all of these markets sort of hit a place where what they've got is good enough. And the passing of years and the leaps in technology upgrades seem to get less and less. And people just happy to use what they use. Also, there's been a massive growth in the quality and price market. Everyone from Nokia to all the Chinese manufacturers are launching between two and 5,000 Rand devices that have very good cameras, decent quality screens, fast enough to, to process anything you want. And those phones, as well as the fact that people are hanging on to them, their life cycles have 
dropped dramatically, um, are, are having a decline. There is one anomaly, unfortunately. The wealthy, so the high end, the Samsung Galaxy series and the Apple um, series have been growing. The premium segment, so you're talking in global terms $600 plus wholesale price, so that covers pretty much all the Galaxy, well, the, the higher-end Galaxies and uh, other manufacturers and, of course, Apple devices, seems to be completely immune to the broader constraints that the mature consumers in, involved in. What we are seeing is that the wealthy and the mature moneyed consumer is opting for the superior performance, the experience that all these faster processes, better quality screens, foldable screens can offer. And in fact, the premium segment was the only segment that grew in the last two quarters of 2023. Um, And in fact, has reached the highest level in its overall contribution to the market, which is pretty scary. I understand in dollar terms we're talking about. So monetary terms, the high end of the market is now contributing a huge proportion of the entire market. So good phones are getting, or mid-range and cheap phones are getting cheaper. They're selling less. So overall, the big phones are getting more expensive and selling more. So there you go. Um, one of the premier premiumization of the market is happening across many, many interesting markets and even places like India where you wouldn't imagine, but certainly um, there they grew 50% year on year from 2023, 2223. So there's been a massive shift in the market. The high end is definitely growing. The mid range is not. It's declining. In fact, by more in terms of volume and dollar terms. So the prices are dropping. Less and less phones are being sold. And that unfortunately drives the growth of um, innovation in quite a significant way. Although, uh, the high-end phones definitely make a big difference. And not everyone can afford a 40,000 rand folding flip phone. It's the contribution of those phones is inordinately smaller than the bulk of the A-series, which is sold by Samsung between, as I say, two and a half and 10,000 rand. And those phones are not selling in the quantities they did. So that has a knock-on effect that the whole operation of the phone market is starting to tilt a little, and it will slow down innovation. And at this stage, there really does not seem to be any um, sort of imminent technology that is going to completely revolutionize and change. Nobody has come out with a compelling vision. There have been some crazy phones, upgradable, modular phones. There have been, obviously, the flip phone and fold phone form factor, the plastic bendable um, screen Form factors have definitely added a little bit of spice to the smartphone world. But generally, there's been no convincing changes that will energize the market and get people to upgrade in a big way. 5G is faster than 4G, but for the most part, on a phone, you're not going to notice the difference unless you're particularly picky. 6G, which is coming in the next three to five years, is just going to make it even faster. But if you can't see the speed right now, what are you going to do? Watch YouTube videos quicker. They're pretty much instant as we speak. So the ecosystem of development seems to slow down to the point where we are definitely seeing less and less and less um, innovation and excitement going on. So 
we need to watch the space carefully, uh, have a look at what's going on in terms of your smartphone, see if it's causing any sort of issues around you not being on top of what you need to do. But for the most part, as I said, the research is showing that the inventories and the stocks and the the speed of innovation and also the number of manufacturers that are coming to the market has slowed down and we're in a massive hiatus which definitely creates a innovation gap down the road. We're going to see better speeds. We're going to see bigger screens. We're going to see sharper, smarter, faster, but nothing that's going to rock the the smartphone world like the introduction of the BlackBerry, the introduction of the iPhone, the introduction of some of the cool, crazy form factors that Nokia came out with in their heyday. None of that seems to be happening at any scale anymore. And for anything, they're getting more and more boring and less and less compelling. You can't, from just looking at a phone on a desk, you can't tell what it is and where it's coming and what it's about. So if you've got an iPhone 12, iPhone 15 coming up, it'll have a slightly different configuration of cameras, a little thicker, a little fatter, maybe slightly noticeable. But overall, same operating system will run the same apps in pretty much the same way. So only those that just have this disease, such as I have, of upgrade-itis will end up buying the new devices and, 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 um, staying on top of technology. So the broader implications are that potentially the um, the chip manufacturing industry will take a little bit of a slowdown, although AI and the, the online ability to grow AI at the speeds and at the, um, the rate that we have been doing so uh, definitely has an impact, and I think we're going to see more and more of that coming over the next little while. But overall, um, mobile devices are not growing. 2023 is going to be a tough year for all the manufacturers. Expect to see the, the, the plus side of this, and something that I've been discussing with a number of manufacturers, is that we're going to see a lot of innovation in terms of packaging. They've been very, very um, good at giving great deals, especially on the premium segment, making them more and more affordable, coming up with type of financing models that make it easy to own a 45000 Rand phone, which is quite the, the leap. I mean, the better part of 45 grand used to buy you a small little car. I know that goes back a little while, but it can get you a decent little secondhand run around even today. A little old, a little worn. So spending that just on a mobile device really does take a certain commitment to technology and to what you can afford. So there will be a lot of movement there. At the bottom end of the market, Nokia coming out with two and a half thousand Rand phones that really are surprisingly good uh, and work extremely well. They offer three to four year upgradability on it. They offer all the buzzwords, hardened glass, fast cameras, 4G only. So that's the C32, I think. Sorry to just drop that in there, but it definitely has become a huge challenge. And... Um, Apple, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on where your politics lie in that regard, are still growing 17% year on year. No question they're doing something right. But remember, they're only playing to the high end of the market, which is not being affected by the same amount. China and India, Xiaomi, OnePlus and Vivo, brands that you see now on the market more and more. Huawei is pretty much out of it. Their market is China only. They still don't do 5G, which in this the global world, 
creates a huge problem. Why spend 20 grand on a non-5G phone when there are a host of other 5G phones for the same sort of money? So while we are in a, a spot, they say that they're promising 5G for the end of the year. Let's see. Uh, they're a bit shut out of the technology ecosystem, so they're trying to develop themselves, which is another interesting story in and of itself. But the premium segment definitely is continuing to grow. The mid-range segment is dead as dodos and putting everyone else down. So you you make your own conclusion. Smartphones are indispensable, but the one you have from two, three years ago seems to be doing the trick. And um, that's not going to change in the next short while. So expect 23, 24, all the way up to 25, unless something really pops in innovation to continue on the same trends. And on that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors. And then I'm going to review a big, big MacBook, uh, which I've been playing with briefly over the last couple of days. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And now moving on to my fun part of the day. It's lovely to talk technology and trends and what's happening in the mobile world, etc., etc. But nothing beats unboxing that shiny new tech product. Something, there's magic in it and there's a science in it. And nobody gets the experience of unboxing better than a Mac. Um, whether it's a phone, whether it's a wristband, whether it's a MacBook Air 15-inch, which I'm playing with now, just opening the box is an experience, unfolding the plastic. I'm doing this unboxing on the radio, which you can't see, which, you know, is, is a little crazy. But still, anyone who's bought a high-end product, even a new Samsung product, understands that opening the box is part of the ownership experience. And to be honest, Dell, very good these days with their laptops, but when it comes to to uh, the, the guys who pioneered the field and make it really work well are Apple. And unboxing their latest super slim MacBook um, Air 15-inch is, as always, a wonderful experience. Now, the MacBook Air 15-inch is the first time they brought out a sort of entry-level. It's not exactly entry-level, but an entry-level uh, computer with a massive screen. And if you know or played with or have ever seen the MacBook Air 13-inch, this is just a grown-up model from the look and feel. It looks exactly the same. It has exactly the same quality and feel and solidness of the MacBook Air 13-inch as you would expect. And it is definitely not like breaking the most exciting introduction of a product ever, but it makes a lot of sense. A 13-inch can sometimes, especially if you're a road warrior, traveler, you're going around, a 13-inch screen can be a little less user-friendly than something up to a 15-inch. But traditionally, the 15-inches were heavy, big, weighed a lot, and were just a little cumbersome to, to schlep around or take around wherever you went. So along comes a very large screen, relatively light, with an extremely thin housing, and that's exactly what the MacBook Air 15-inch offers. Uh, it's perfectly balanced. It's one of the few laptops that you can simply put it on the table, lift the screen up, stays wherever you want. It's wonderfully balanced, wonderfully weighted, 
Most laptops, you've got to hold them, otherwise they don't. They you can't get them open. It's a little thing, but it just shows the quality of the engineering, and it makes absolutely perfect sense. The other thing this laptop has got because of the new processors, the M2 processor from from Mac, there are no fans, so it's dead quiet. There's no whirring, hissing, windy noises coming out of the back of the, the laptop. It's, it remains really cool. It's completely passively cooled. And like the, the new MacBook Air 13 and now the 15, it just is ridiculously fast in terms of its performance with the M2 chip. And it really is a very solid, sturdy, built product. So if you're a Mac fan or any fan, I mean, there's very little today. You know, people ask me, Mac, Windows. When it comes to Windows, it's still, Office on Windows is still a little bit more user-friendly. The filing system on Windows is still a little bit more structured and logical than that on Mac. But once you've got used to either ecosystem, and it doesn't take that long either way, they're both very, very functional in terms of ecosystems. But where the Mac seems to win out is on its consistency across every single thing. Windows is getting better and better, but generally there's this weird pop-up sometimes that comes up that looks like, uh, you know, Windows 95. They haven't quite got the same level of consistency and operating smoothness within the OS as Mac has, and also the updates. Another major factor is that the longevity of a MacBook tends to be about one and a half to two times that of a, of a Windows machine. So if your Windows machine is three years old, it's probably close to replacement time. Whereas a Mac at three years old, some of them run five, six, seven, eight years and still are updated, still run pretty well, and still seem to offer the sort of service you want. So if you're looking for a bigger screened Mac at a price that makes sense, the price is the one area where even in South Africa, where the MacBook Airs were really well priced by global standards, somewhere just above the US price, but certainly cheaper than than um, Europe, the the MacBook, the two models that you can buy are, are very well priced. With one caveat, they come with eight gig of memory, which today is not competitive in the Windows space. At that sort of price, most of the Windows machines have got 16 gig, some up to 32 gig, which does make a difference if you're a heavy multitasker, you're spending a lot of time doing what you need to do on your machine. Um, the one benefit also with having a, a very, really efficient process is the battery life of the Max is exceptional. Very few Windows machines even get close I mean, you get between 15 and 18 hours of steady use out of the 15-inch with even with that big screen. So it's great battery life. The touchpad is unmatched in my in my it, my experience. I've not found a Windows machine-based touchpad that's quite as effective and easy to use. Although what Windows do again at that sort of price range, a lot of the machines have got touchscreens, which are useful, especially if you you know you you want to do stuff without using the touchpad. But the superb touchpad on on Macs tend to make touching the screen a bit superfluous. Um, the screen quality is also excellent. Not as good, again, as some of the Windows competitors that have OLEDs and, and really good screens as well. But overall, within the parameters of what it is, if you like the Mac ecosystem and you want a bigger, more expansive, for example, I found it much easier to do emails, write letters, work with spreadsheets without an external screen. And that's where the one thing that I think they need to fix. The pros, MacBook Pros we're talking about, 
um, can handle two screens. The MacBook Airs currently can only, only handle one. So I've got a double setup at home. I've got two screens, which I use with my laptop, which gives me the best of both worlds. But now with a 15-inch screen, you can use the its screen internal plus one external screen, but you can't use two. just will not run it. It'll run any version all the way up to 8K external screens, but it won't run two of them. And that's simply a hardware thing because it's the same chipset as they use in the Pro, which can easily run two and more monitors. So it's a decision they've made, which I believe is a problem. Often multiple screens make a lot of sense, especially if you travel around or you do a lot of work on spreadsheets. So that is the one thing that definitely counts against it and something that you should keep in mind before you buy it. But the two negatives really are the memory upgrades are very expensive. You want 32 gig memory or more on the, on the main memory or on the hard drive. You start pushing really hard and the current entry level one has got 256 gig hard drive, which today's standards, although you can put a lot in the cloud, is pretty mingy, especially if you travel around and you want certain big files on your own, on your own computer. Eight gig of RAM, I've not, not particularly had a problem. I've had tons of browsers open. It handles it very well. It doesn't, or browser windows, it doesn't seem to matter, but 32 gig would be, or 16 gig would be much better. Again, big jumps there. The price starts pushing the high 50 to 40 thousands. It starts becoming very expensive. So great machine, great feel. Great build, running the Mac OS, it's an absolute pleasure to use. Pricing is pretty controlled and well-priced in South Africa for the moment. So if you're looking for a, an Air, something that's light, easy to travel with, but with a nice big screen, highly recommend the MacBook Air 15-inch. If you're a Windows person, the Dell XPSs come close. Some of the HPs come close in some respects, not battery life, um, not slickness of the keypad, of the touchpad, but everything else with better specs. So there you have it. As as usual, choice is yours, but this is a great entry. Only weighs one and a half kilos, easy to carry around, and it's just a wonderful laptop. And on that note, we're going to have a quick break for our sponsors, and then I'm just going to talk a little bit about PayShap, and then we're going to have to um, essentially wrap up today and worry about some more tech for next week straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And before we wrap up the day, just wanted to give you a quick update. All you people have got a Capitec or Discovery Bank account. The new payment platform, which I spoke about a couple, oh, a couple of weeks ago, called PayShap or PayShop. Um, <laughs> I'll be careful how you pronounce these things, has now launched on Capitec and Discovery Bank. And essentially, it's a completely new rapid payments program. Right now, you sort of pay a lot to get instant payments across. And there are a lot of platforms that theoretically offer you instant payment between various uh, banks. But this one is fundamentally different and should expand to take over the payments platform entirely of all the older legacy systems because it's more efficient, it should be more cost efficient, and certainly works extremely well. And it was something developed by all the banks and BankServe Africa, which is the major switching company that handles interbank um, transfers in any event for all the banks. And the system has seen rapid uptake. It has a couple of couple of caveats. It's it's aimed very much at the bottom end of the market. I think there's a limit of three thousand Rand 
up to 3,000 rands in, in every sing, you know, in any one thing. But you can make payments using a cell phone number registered with a participating bank. So now it adds two more banks. So MT, uh, MTN Vodacom, I'm thinking mobile networks, but Standard Bank, FNB, Nedbank, and ABSA have all been involved in this. The smaller banks are now coming online. So it offers a very quick, seamless, and for the moment they shouldn't charge for it, but they do. Well, that's craziness. But anyway, you can send and receive money to and from any bank that works on the PayShack platform, and it's instant, it's secure, and you can simply use a cell phone. So it's more up-to-date, certainly a lot more efficient, and you can make minor payments to staff, to friends, to family, whatever you want in, in Europe People see often on the TV, Venmo me. Well, this is pretty close to the same sort of vibe in Europe. In Holland, they've got something called the Tiki. And there are other pla- there are m- multitude of platforms that allow instant transfer of cash. And this one is managed through the major banks, so it's safe and secure. You don't have to worry your money's going to land up elsewhere. Um, however, the only thing is if your cell phone number changes, you have to register a new uh, PayShap ID. If you don't, you're not going to get your money and... I'm not sure what happens in that case. You send money to a number that doesn't exist or is used by someone else. I think you could have problems. So it does make it a little bit very convenient in terms of who you can pay and when and how and how fast, how fast. But it also creates another little issue around paying numbers that have expired or changed, and you're just going to be a little bit careful. So we will see more and more of this happening. I think the system will expand. They'll make the payment ability higher and faster in terms of the value, and hopefully they'll get rid of the costs because it's all part of the back-end platform. But I suppose banks need to make a little bit of money, and they do charge. But it's not that necessary in the in the normal course of things. Between banked people, certainly not. But between unbanked people, it's certainly or the, the lower banked, the lesser banked, it certainly makes a lot of lot of sense. And on that note, uh, I've been told it's time to wrap up and get on with my life. So this is Stephen Ambrose on Chai FM for Tech Talk. Same place, same time, more tech every week right here on Chai FM on Thursday between 11 and 12. Till next week, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech, tech Talk on Chai FM.